Welcome to the Carolina Contractor Show with your host, General Contractor Donnie Blanchard. Brought to you by GAF, the world's largest roofing manufacturer. GAF, we protect what matters most. And yep, it's another edition of the Carolina Contractor Show. My name is Eric Smith. I do inside sales for uh, home builders in Wilson Greenville. Donnie across from me does all sorts of stuff when it comes to construction. He owns Blanchard Building Company. He's a general contractor. He owns Suretop Roofing. What don't you do, Donnie? Um, I was about to say a TV show, but I do that too. So, um, wow. <laughs> radio, TV, construction, roofing, and I'm a involved dad. So, hey, there's that too. So, uh, I'm pretty well-rounded. We're both very similar in that way. I mean, you're better at grilling and can put on a roof, but you can't play guitar worth a dang. So we have our strengths and our weaknesses, but the common denominator is we like to talk about building and construction and houses and things like that. Hence the name, The Carolina Contractor Show. Details at the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. And we've got links to past shows. You can download them in the wonderful, compact, and enjoyable podcast form. And they're set up by topic. So if there's something specific you want to learn about or review, you can search that way and download it and listen to it at your own time. And the other thing we got up there is uh, links to social media. Um, we're at like 14,000 people on Instagram that follow us. We thank you for that. We got Facebook. We got YouTube. Um, oh, if you have a question about your house or, or a project, we got the little Ask the Contractor button. Last week, we did a question show. You want to do a, a, a recap of what we talked about on the last show because we're kind of doing a, a part two this week. I felt the need to address a few things that we don't really talk about often. We're always on new products and uh, the real estate market, lumber prices. And one thing that I realized is, hey, you know, there's a few things that we don't talk about in terms of what the average homeowner should take into consideration. And what matters most part one included uh, the most common causes of house fires, things like that, and what consumes the most electricity in your house. And I felt like those were worthy of a show topic. And of course, uh, no secret, we ended up with 50% of all house fires are caused by kitchen fires. And would have never guessed that. I always preached to the kids that they were drier fires and dryers were way down the list. But uh, definitely kitchen fires and the important thing there. We'll get into this later in this show. But having a working fire extinguisher handy and maybe plant it all over the house because they're so cheap and you can order online now is just a no brainer. Uh, the next big thing is what consumed the most electricity. And of course, that was your heating and air system was the big number one. Uh, number two was your water heater. And we overemphasize water heater maintenance and things like that on past shows. But um, you probably have a better grasp for three, four five. I can't remember off the top of my head. Cooling appliances, which is kind of part of the HVAC system. But I guess if you have a window cooling unit, that's still going to eat up a lot of electricity. Surprisingly, refrigerators were number four. They consume about 4% of the total energy in a house. And then uh, number five, closed dryers. And that clocked in at 3.2% of a home's energy usage. I want to say those percentages. When I read back through that, of course, we took these national averages off of the official GOV uh, websites. And and I want to I wanted to say that I think a few of those percentages were off. I mean, if you have a family of five, I think the clothes dryer may have been a little higher than the refrigerator even. And in my circumstance, I have a several refrigerators and I have a freezer in the basement, things like that. Those percentages, while they uh, reflect a national average, I don't know that they apply to a family, a larger family of five or six. So uh, I'm glad that you rounded out the show. I think you said, hey, you know, the math doesn't add up to be 100 percent here, but the intangibles definitely need to be accounted for there. And before we dive in, I wrote myself a note that, um, and all these things that we're going to discuss today involve 
getting to know your house and basically walking around and being observant and trying to notice things and take things into account that you wouldn't normally do that. And I wanted to say that having work done on your home is a really big deal. And before you have that work done, I always recommend taking pictures of your house. If it's exterior work, siding, roofing, gutters, walk around and take pictures of all four elevations of your house. And everybody's got a smartphone in their hand these days. So um, just taking a few of those pictures will not only record where your house is and on a time and date stamped photo, but it'll also give you an idea of what you may need to think about doing to your house. Uh, a lot of people just don't look at their house. You pull in the driveway, you go in the garage, you follow the same routine every day. And this really forces you to look at it with a little more scrutiny. And uh, while I'm on that subject, I'll say that from my insurance adjuster days back in my 20s, I recommended to folks that take interior pictures as well. So when you go inside, take interior pics of every room, furniture, your contents, cabinets, et cetera, because uh, heaven forbid the worst case scenario should happen to your house. You know, you, you would have to fill out a contents form to describe what you had before that catastrophe took place. And um, that's just a good measure that doesn't take a long time. So always tell folks to document everything. So getting on subject, preventive maintenance and, and you titled this, I liked it, Getting to Know Your House. Maybe if you're lucky, you'll go all the way with your house. But you got to get to know your house first and, and know the inside and outside. What are some of the things we can do every month to our house to help keep it in, a, in good shape and prevent issues from popping up? So I wrote a list of all these things in one big category. And then when I broke those down into monthly, seasonal, and yearly, I went really easy on the average homeowner and I tried not to be a hypocrite. So, uh, and, you know, I, I pay attention, I'm a contractor, so I pay attention to certain things in my house, but there's also things that I take a playoff when a playoff is needed and I, and I let certain things go that I probably shouldn't, but just a family guy and I don't have, but so many hours in the day. So the monthly list, the reason I said all that is the monthly list is the shortest one because that would be a lot of work. And, um, this goes without saying, but the, return filters. And uh, the return filters are something that should be checked monthly, especially if you have pets. And we mentioned on part one of what really matters that checking the MERV rating, which, which is the minimum efficiency reporting value, meaning it is a fancy way to say the size of the holes in your filter and what it lets pass through that filter. Getting a grasp on the appropriate MERV rating for your system is a real thing. You don't want the holes to be so small that it chokes off your airflow in the return. But, you know, with the MERV rating we mentioned last week, you can go a little light on that, as a matter of fact, and you you can actually change your filters out more frequent than what it's called for. And that will overcompensate for uh, the MERV rating not being as high as you might like it to be if you have allergies or something like that. Water filters, if you have a whole house filter, that should be changed out monthly and that will affect your water pressure and your kitchen sink disposal. I live in the country, so I don't have a disposal. I might let you take that one. Things can build up in the disposal and you'll want to clean them, but people will tend to take a pot of boiling water and pour it down. Well, that'll kill everything and wash it all down. Boiling water can actually, it's hot enough, it can soften PVC pipes and most drain pipes. If you look under your sink or your bathroom is going to be white PVC. So you don't want to pour a lot of boiling water. Just hot water is enough. And there's some other things that you can buy or vinegar and baking soda. If you get a clog in a bathroom sink or a kitchen sink, there are special plungers for them. And I had an upstairs uh, sink clog and I tried the liquid plumber stuff. Mm -hmm. Then I tried baking soda and vinegar where it's going to maybe bubble up. And I tried a snake. It wouldn't clear. So I found online a sink plunger. It's like a mini toilet plunger. 
and put it over. First shot, I heard the the tube go. Mm. How did that sound? Okay. It will work if you've got a clog and a sink. Rant over. No, that was a heck of a side note. And that I wouldn't classify that as a rant. That was super helpful. Good stuff. I'll move right into the seasonal inspections. That's funny. That, that was a really short list for the monthly to do. So uh, seasonal, check your air temperature from supplies. It seems like everybody has a thermometer gun these days. That's what they used to check your forehead with during COVID, you know. But, um, you know, checking the air temperature from the supplies, whether you have a uh, heat pump or a gas pack is good to know because with a heat pump, it should blow out. And we're getting close to the cold weather. So if you put your heat on, it should blow out around 90 degree air. And I want to say it around 115 or 120 for the gas pack. So my HVAC tech um, came in one time. It was the first time I used him, and I'd never had an HVAC tech do this. He connected a sensor to the return and then one to a floor vent. And when he recharged the system, he was showing what the temperatures were, and he knew what they should be. And we watched them creep up to the correct one. And if it's AC or heat, depending, they can measure it. I'm telling you right now, find an HVAC service company that has that because it will show you exactly what's going on. And if they're using it, it means they really are concerned with understanding the airflow through your house and how your system is working and if it's working efficiently. Very, very true. Very true. Um, Staying inside of the house, smoke and carbon monoxide detectors are something that you should check to make sure they're working properly. And we'll talk a little more about that. Um, Gutters, you know, checking for the rain overflow and not just clogs. I tell folks sometimes throw a raincoat on or get an umbrella and go outside during a partially heavy rain and just see if the gutters are overflowing or if they're draining like they're supposed to, because when it rains, you naturally stay inside. So uh, making sure that they don't have an overflow problem or that they're not flowing back down behind the fascia, potentially rotting the wood there. So that that's just important thing to check seasonally. So Donnie, you own Top Roofing and not only you put on roofs, I assume you put on gutter systems too, right? Yes, sir. The minimum is what, five inches, but you like to use the six inch trough, correct? Yes, sir. Depending on the pitch of the roof and the length of the rafter uh, on anything other than just a standard house, a six inch is a no brainer for me. And it sounds like a minimal jump from five to six inches, but that extra inch on the gutter trough really makes a big difference. The standard downspout is three by four, and that's considered oversized. Uh, up until about 10, 15 years ago, all you saw for downspouts was about a two by three inch and that worked okay, but it is peanuts just to upgrade to the three by four. And I think the the rating on the volume is that the three by four will hold as much as a fire hose on a fire truck. So three by four oversized downspout combined with a six inch gutter definitely improves the function. And one more note on that is that the upgrade from a five inch to a six inch is about a dollar per foot. So that doesn't apply to the downspouts. It only applies to the gutters. And you're talking a couple hundred dollars to improve the function of your house. And I think it's a no brainer. Do you have an opinion on the leaf guards and gutter guards and all those? Do you think they're effective? Yeah, that's um, that's a loaded question for sure, because <laughs> gutter guards, gutter helmets, uh, there's so many different options, so many different companies. And um, which guard or helmet you go with depends on what kind of trees you have in your yard. Hmm. You know, gutter guards basically flip. They basically sit flat on top of the gutter where a gutter helmet is raised and it goes up under a shingle usually. So anything that lands on there, you know, naturally with wind and water will uh, move off of the roof, but the gutter helmet doesn't have as many holes as the gutter guard. So certain things that we do to offset that is that we cut uh, in valleys where all the volumes channel down to the bottom of that valley. We cut the gutter helmet back and we put something that resembles a screen or a gutter guard in there to handle the valley volume. But 
with a gutter guard, you know, there's some really good gutter guards out there. Most gutter guards do not work if you have pines or pin oaks because they get stuck in there. And because it sits flat, the wind and the water can't wash those out of the holes and you end up with more of a maintenance nightmare than you started with. Uh, Funny story. When we got into this and started doing the gutter guards as a service, uh, one of the companies that really tried to push their product on us, their homepage had them at the top of a ladder with a smile on their face and they're wiping the debris off the top of the gutter guards. And I'm thinking that is just reverse marketing because the whole point is not to get on the ladder again. All right, let's move on to hose. Um, <laughs> you've wrote, you wrote down here that you wanted to talk about hose real quick. So I'm going to let you lead on it. Basically, that was hose connections. And so uh, seasonally, you should address your hose connections. So if you have a connection to some hose. Oh, God. This is getting bad. Okay. So, yeah, hose connections, meaning your hose should be disconnected from the hose bib. If there's any remaining water left in the hose, then, you know, that could freeze overnight. You never know when you're going to get that night when it drops below 32. And, you know, you have something back up into the hose bib and that burst the line that the, that goes into the wall. I was about to say the nipple line that goes into the wall, but this is already getting bad. So yeah, but that's the actual term. And um, there we are. But yes, disconnect your hoses before it gets too cold. We'll just move on to the next one. Yeah, we'll jump back inside the uh, house because one thing you have listed here is smart thermostat settings. And we love smart thermostats. I was late to the game to get mine in. I have to choose either heat or AC or I can turn them off. But now the new ones will move from heat to AC. And this is the time of year that this is important. Is that something you'd recommend to moving up to those styles? I have a Nest, an old Nest that I use at the office and the Nest upgraded itself. So it does have that range. And I basically set it. So if it gets um, above 73, the AC comes on. And if it gets below 67, the heat comes on. And um, uh, so, so most of these smart thermostats should have something that will upgrade those to allow the the latest, greatest software to take over that. But if not, I definitely recommend what you said. And I like the range. It gives you a little more flexibility so that you don't have to monitor it so close. But these things get better and better every year. And full endorsement. I know you said you were a late adopter, but I don't blame you there. The ones they had several years ago just weren't that great. But now they do everything. They tell you, my kids check the weather on those. And, and they really, they're almost too smart because they learn your living habits. And I know you're paranoid about that, but... <laughs> I doubt a thermostat will ever come get you. And hopefully the only thing it does is reduce your electricity bills. The chance of a thermostat becoming self-aware and killing you is not likely, but the chance is still there. Last week, we're talking about kitchen fires and you can get extinguishers that are aerosol can types that are made specifically for kitchens. Some people, you might have a garage that has a standard fire extinguisher, maybe your business but that's something you need to do seasonally is check that they're charged if you can or look at them and see if they have an expiration date. If they're an aerosol can type extinguisher that goes inside a kitchen, but you don't want to come up short on an extinguisher when you need it and go, oh, it's not charged or something like that. Very easy thing to check. Yep. I put another thing on the list is test your garage door auto reverse feature. This is when you're, and I know it drives a lot of people crazy because when it hits anything, of course it goes back up and you have to watch it and tweak it in the motor. Uh, But the garage door auto reverse feature was put into place in 1993. There was a federal law actually made because they had so many child deaths and 
the way that you can test this is put a two by four or something similar on the on the ground where the door would close and it should auto reverse a second or so after it hits the wood. So that sounds like a ridiculous thing. But if you have small children, that's definitely something to at least test seasonally. I feel like that warrants some attention at least every three months. Now, another thing is if you have, especially if you're empty nesters or you have a big house and you have some rooms that you don't use very frequently that have toilets or sinks in them, you need to occasionally flush them and and run the sink. Explain something about showers. They're called faucet Mm -hmm. aerators. Yep, for sure. And it's as simple as all your your faucets in the bathrooms. You can basically turn those counterclockwise and uh, take those off. You can pop the aerator out of the inmost part of the fixture and basically just wash those out with warm water, hot water. And you'll be amazed at what you see come out the other side, especially if you don't do this often. And if you have an issue where you're brushing your teeth or something and the water kind of sprays to the side or it just doesn't run straight down, that is more than likely the problem. And it's a 30 second to a minute fix to do everything in that bathroom. So highly recommend doing that at least a few times a year. This is Carolina Contractor Show. We're talking about some preventative maintenance things you can do for your house. And we just wrapped up uh, things you do seasonally. And we started off with some monthly inspections, which were like filters for your HVAC unit. Well, as we have time left, we want to talk about the things you only have to do yearly. And we're going to step outside and you're going to look at your house and roof Obviously, we've talked about in the past, if your house, your roof is glittery and shiny and looks like a fairy tale, that's not good. You can always get a free roof inspection from SureTop. But another thing is you notice coming out PVC pipe or pipes from the top of your roof and those are vents and they have boots around them. It's hard to see from the ground level. You could use I guess, binoculars, but dry rot's a big issue with those, right? It is. I mean, we put we put neoprene boots on now, so dry rot's not as big of an issue. And um, uh, But most roofing contractors just use the old rubber boots, and dry rot is definitely an issue. Uh, people often say, well, I've got a 30-year shingle, so I don't need to maintain that shingle. But every 30 years, and they wait for something bad to happen, but roof maintenance is a real thing. And I want to say the life expectancy of a rubber pipe boot's about five years. So that's a big discrepancy when you consider a 30-year shingle. And of course, our shingles now are 50 years, but uh, what was put on 20, 30 years ago, 30 years was the common thing. Uh, another thing while we're on roofing is flashing. If you have any other penetration besides a plumbing penetration, more than likely you have a metal flashing around there. And that metal flashing, if it wasn't installed correctly, you are at the mercy of a bead of caulk. So if you're handy and you feel comfortable walking a roof, you know, check all that stuff out at least yearly. If not, you know, of course, we do free roof inspections. We'll check you out, you know, any kind of roof damage that you might not be able to see from the ground, but we don't charge anything for that service. And the last thing I want to say is a good indicator is that granules in your gutter. So the asphalt granules washing off into your gutters at the bottom of your downspout. If you have something that looks gritty and um, uh, something just doesn't look right coming out of your gutter downspouts, definitely give a qualified roofer a call because that's a good indicator that your roof has seen its best days. But that brings something up, Donnie. Um, People don't really understand the difference between caulk and sealant. They might go into a store and say, well, I need to do some uh, caulking around my window or put some sealant around uh, a water fixture, and they don't look very close at what they're actually getting. Let's quickly explain the difference between caulk and sealant. Well, it's funny. They both fall under the category of a sealant, and uh, it usually the wording is caulking versus silicone. So I'll just say that elasticity is the main difference there. So, of course, caulk being a lot more elastic, uh, silicone usually is 100% silicone, so it doesn't bend, stretch, and flex like caulk will. Uh, Normally, you see caulk used in areas where temperature swings are minimal. Uh, It's paintable, and the cleanup is easy. I would say that silicone 
Uh, basically, it doesn't crack, but it's not paintable. And when you want to clean it up, it usually requires that you use a solvent. So um, there's a lot more to be said by, about the, the caulking versus silicone argument. But I would say that if I had to uh, sum this up pretty quick, I would say use caulk inside, use silicone outside. It's great advice. Makes it simple indeed. All right. Other things you look around your house is a vegetation that's in contact with the house. I one time was dating this girl and she had a, a vine growing on the side of her house, but only went up about a foot and a half. What she didn't realize is it's because the rest of it snuck under a piece of siding. So don't let it get there. Also, it can block your vents in your house and affect the airflow there if they're open. And it's a great place for critters to live. So keep it back because you don't want that stuff crawling on your house. And I hate ivy. We had some on our um, brick. Oh, I hate ivy. You might think it looks great, but it'll penetrate into masonry and it can crack masonry. I, I, I say kill that stuff, but keep your house clear of anything growing on it. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, that's like kudzu for kudzu and residential have never went together. So agreed. I wanted to add to that list and say that your water heater and water heater temperature are a good thing to keep an eye on. Um, depending on what your temperature is set at, it'd be good to know because you can take a few screws out and see where the dial is uh, on, on your water heater and then checking that water temperature. So it, most people don't need that. They kind of have an indicator when you take a shower, you say, the water's not as hot as it used to be. Well, that either means that you need to adjust your water heater or your water heater is uh, on its last leg. And so uh, one of the two, I'm a fan of the tankless water heaters. If you have to upgrade and you already have gas in your house, I have an 80 gallon electric water heater and it has seen its best days. So I'm counting down to the day I can get the tankless water heater. And good news with the tankless water heaters, they've come so far that about 100 gallons of gas, whether it be natural gas or propane, you know, should should handle that with a with a small family for the majority of the year. Uh, worst case, two hundred gallons will do the trick. But I'm definitely a fan, and that is a very efficient way to heat your water. You can't have enough hot water, so always be thankful for that. A couple other things you can do every year. We've talked about this before: the dryer exhaust. Uh, this is where the the air goes out, but it also takes lint. And even though you have a lint trap, maybe on your dryer it still gets through. And if you've got the old school corrugated pipe, it can build up in there. Dryer lint's very, very, very flammable. You don't want it to build up. You can hire people to do it. If you're like me, I have a very short run, literally just a couple feet from the connection to the wall to the outside of the house. I pull the dryer vent off and move the dryer a little bit and I take my leaf blower. And I've done that for many years. It's very simple. It fits right in the pipe, let it run for a little bit and clear that out. I want to add a couple more to the list before we run out of time. And uh, the septic tank, if you live on a, uh, in the country, you know, septic tank, recommend pumping that every couple of years, but definitely give it attention every year. If you notice that um, the area that where the lateral lines drain into is growing way more than everything else, you probably need to get that pumped or checked out. Uh, vacuuming your refrigerator coils. It's not a big deal to roll your refrigerator out, but like you mentioned earlier, your refrigerator accounts for quite a bit of your electricity bill, especially if you have multiple. So Vacuuming those coils to keep your refrigerator running efficiently is a big deal. Um, a big thing that I've run into lately, and I've gotten a lot of questions through the website, is address and adjust your water pressure. So if you live on a well and you have a pressure tank, you know, it could be two things. Your water filter or your whole house filter could be clogged up. That's the easiest and first thing to check. But one thing that I dealt with and didn't realize that it was a problem in my personal house is that I had too much pressure in my pressure tank. So people think, a lot of pressure on your water lines, but that's not how it works. And 
you can have too little pressure in your tank or too much pressure and, and it works the same way. It's going to make low pressure coming out in your shower. So basically when I made that adjustment after about eight years of living with it, I realized that I could have had harder water pressure the whole time and it was a really easy fix. All you need is an air compressor and um, basically communicate with a plumber about where it should be. And this is time of year. People have wood burning fireplaces, especially like to fire them up. Please call a chimney sweep. It's not too expensive and they're really good. They use cameras. They're looking for problems with your masonry. If there's cracks, if there's a buildup, those little logs you can buy that say chimney sweep in a log or something. It's not that they can't help, but they are not a cleaning device. You need to have a pro come in there and check it before you do it and know how your chimney works. Should I do the dad joke, Donnie? Go for it. How do you know if your chimney is sick? <laughs> it's got the flu. Oh. I'm sorry. I hate to finish a show on a dad joke, but... I love it. Man. Now, there's a lot of other things you can do for your house. We hit the main things for preventative maintenance based on the time of year or monthly or seasonally. And we'll get those up on the website, but we just hit the most important ones. And that's why we do the Carolina Contractor Show. And we will talk to you next week on another edition of the Carolina Contractor Show. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Carolina Contractor Show. Learn more at thecarolinacontractor.com. Brought to you by GAF. We protect what matters most. If you suspect a severe thunderstorm or hailstorm has damaged your roof, contact SureTop Roofing. They'll inspect your roof, document any damage, and repair it quickly. SureTop Roofing, your local GAF Master Elite Certified Roofer. Visit SureTopRoofing.com.